some days you come to church if you preach and you're you're there and you're you know kind of glad to be there but you're just you're there and uh I can tell you that this morning I'm more ex- I'm just more excited to be here I I'm bring bringing something to you that I feel like is important although it is not much different than what I shared last week so I must just admit that from the get go um it's like sometimes I've noticed this through the years, you know, where the Lord like dials you in on something specific and you kind of need to say it like six different ways for it to like resonate. And actually what's happening, just so you know, is that the Lord is saying it to me six different ways so it'll resonate in me. And it's then I'm just like, you know, it's working on me. So I'm just bringing it to you. Um, but I want to I start by reading a poem that has very little to do with what I'm preaching on. (laughs) I'm just being honest. Um, I'll mention something about the poet after this, but I just felt compelled to read this particular poem. And um, I think poetry is this really interesting thing because with one of the things that we love in our modern time is we love the ability to explain everything like scientifically and factually. How many of you like it when things just make sense? You like that? How much of life has just made sense all the time to you? Sometimes it does. Sometimes it makes a ton of sense. Um, but there's this, this question... This, this comment that the disciples often say, we don't know what you're saying right now. <laughs> and because sometimes you don't know, you know, you, you don't know. And so, so the scriptures are full of poetry. The scriptures are full of prophecy. The scriptures are full of parables. And all of these things don't have as simply a reductionistically simple answer of what they mean as we would like to think they do. And so for me, poetry, when I read a Psalm of David and I think, what is he saying? The exercise of that creates a question in my, in my heart, in my soul that causes me to inquire deeply. When a statement is very clear and it's very easy to understand, does it cause you to inquire? No. And so the Bible and life is full of things that are very clear because sometimes we need very clear instruction. It's also full of things that create intrigue. And both of those things are meant to help us walk closely with God. The reason why poetry is in the Bible, one of, not the, one of the reasons and one of my reasons of enjoying reading it is because sometimes the words evoke but don't clarify and they create intrigue. And life is sometimes this way. So, this is called Dancing Through the Fire by, Mal- by Malcolm Geit. I'm going to drink some water before I read this.
Then stir my love in idleness to flame, to find at least at last the free refining fire that guards the hidden garden whence I came. Oh, do not kill, but quicken my desire. Better to spur me on than leave me cold. Not maimed I come to you, I come entire. Lit by the loves that warm, the lust that scald. That you may prove the one, reprove the other. Though both have been the strength by which I scaled. The steps so far to come where poets gather and sing such songs as love gives them to sing, I thank God for the ones who brought me hither and taught me by example how to bring the slow growth of a poem to fruition and let itself be a living thing. Taught me to trust the gifts of intuition and still to try the tautness of each line. Taught me to taste the grace of transformation and trace in the dust the face of the divine. Taught me the truth as a poet and as a Christian that drawing water turns it into wine. Now I am drawn through their imagination to dare to dance with them into the fire harder than any grand renunciation to bring to Christ the heart of my desire, just as it is in every imperfection, surrendered to his bright refiner's fire, that love might have its death and resurrection. So, nothing more to say on that other than I feel like life in the last few weeks for me has been feeling love's death and resurrection. I, uh, there hasn't really been anything super profound that has happened in recent weeks, but for me, they have been very profound weeks of my life. Um, like, I, I just, the way I would say it is, I just feel God's leading more day by day. Now, it, like, I don't want to say that this has been perfect. Even this week, part of God's leading, Andrew and I reflected on something, a compromise in our own lives that we needed to deal with. Um, but I just, I don't know what else to say, and maybe it will encourage your faith. I just have felt God's presence daily and felt his leading daily, and I'm grateful for that. Um, as you know, um, I've been writing, as I mentioned, I've been writing a book on shepherding. And this book came totally out of this uh, process of God leading me. I didn't begin the year thinking, this is going to be the year I write a book, you know. Like, I had had many people say, oh, you'll write a book one day. And I, you know, it's fine. Like, I don't, um, I don't want to endeavor to do anything just to do it and check off a box list. I'm only going to, I want to do something if I feel like God is leading, leading me. And so I, um, the Lord's been shaping my thoughts, though, around what does it mean to be a shepherd? How do we shepherd people's lives? And what does it mean to be a, a sheep, a follower, and one who is trusting in the good shepherd? And so 
the author of this poem that I just mentioned is a person that I really admire and enjoy. Um, he loves C.S. Lewis and Tolkien. Um, you know, like all of my heroes, he's, he's old with gray hair. And uh, he kind of looks like a really short Santa Claus, to be honest. If you ever look up Malcolm Geit, um, his, he's got long, white, flowy hair and a big, long, white beard. And he is um, a poet, published, published poet, and he's also an Anglican priest and a, and a professor at Cambridge. And I would say all those things, and you would, you would imagine maybe a very stoic person, possibly. But when you listen to Malcolm Geit, He's actually like this person of just incredible joy and whimsy. He just, he loves the Lord. He's, he's a, you know, kind of full of joy, but also is sort of in this scholarly world. And so yesterday, I hadn't listened to him for a bit. My brother introduced me to him, and I went to, I was like, ah, I need to listen to some Malcolm Geit tonight. And so I went and listened to, I went and looked him up on YouTube and I hadn't seen this before, but the first message that popped up was a message that he gave at Wheaton College on the Good Shepherd. And I was like, okay, Lord, you got my attention. And he's talking on John 10, which, which a, you know, a reasonable chunk of the book I've been writing on delves back into John 10, where Jesus talks about being a good shepherd. And he, uh, he brought out an insight that is related to the historical practice of shepherding that just, blew, that just blew me away. Really simple insight. But I want to read to you John 10, and then I want to share with you what I gleaned through, through Malcolm. Um, John 10, 1 through 10. I'm just going to read. You can hear this. I'll read from up here, actually. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens and the sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and he leads them out. And when he brings out his sheep, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. Yet they will by no means follow a stranger but will flee from him for they do not know the voice of strangers. Jesus used this illustration, but they did not understand. Here's that point. They did not understand the things to which he spoke to them. When Jesus said to them again, most assuredly I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. Maybe they're more confused now. All who ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go out and find pasture. The thief does not come except to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come. They may have life, and they have it more abundantly. I love that passage. I've been spending a lot of time with it recently. Um, some things I didn't know until I listened to this message. And um, I want to mention, show you what a sheepfold is. You could pull this, pull this up. This is a sheepfold right here. And... If you've ever driven through places, um, I've driven in New Zealand and Scotland, both of these places have long, um, they've had shepherds for a long time, especially Scotland. And you will see these things, you'll see things like this scattered throughout the countryside. This is an ancient 
sheepfold. And they've dug these up archaeologically, you know, around, around Israel and around the near Middle East. And if you can imagine, Israel would have many of these scattered throughout the countryside as, as a shepherd was moving from different places, they would use these. And most of the shepherds had their own land, their own sort of territory that they, they cared for their sheep in. But these, you know, from different pasture to different pasture, they would build these things that did not have like a top. It was just, it was just enough for the sheep to keep out most of the predators and to keep them in at night. And thank you for that. I, uh, I, when Jesus says he enters by the door, not over, he's talking about like where a predator might enter. But then Jesus turns the thing. This is the part I did not know. Jesus turns it and says, I am the door. And what a shepherd would do whenever he would lead the sheep into the sheepfold is that when all the sheep got in at night, he would lay down across the door, across the entrance of the sheepfold, so that any predator that would come in, not jumping over the fence, would have to come over him. And any sheep that was going to leave It would have to walk over him. And something about that explanation just... I don't know. Sheep, they don't need to learn the countryside to be safe. They don't need to learn how to navigate. They do one thing. They learn the voice. They learn the voice of the shepherd. That is the one thing that sheep do to be safe. And the voice of God is what we need to flourish. What I feel like that God has been working on me particularly on is specific obedience. The faith of specific obedience. Not just, not just general obedience, but specific obedience. And I'll tell you what I mean. Um, before I tell you what I mean, I'll give you an example. We had gone to this um, gathering, um, my family, I think I mentioned a couple weeks ago that we have a nonprofit that distributes to ministries and works with other ministries and nonprofits. And we've gone to this gathering where there are other people with similar foundations and nonprofits that, that give and work with to help um, nonprofits in different cities in our country. And while I was there, it was a good conference. And there was, there's, a, there's a number of Christians, there's a Christian constituency there. And family that we've gotten to be uh, kind of close with that live up in Minnesota and, and in between Tennessee and Minnesota. And they, they w had kind of knew the Maverick City folks. And Maverick City was going to be having a concert 
in Denver, um, and we were in Colorado Springs. And they were like, we got to go to this concert. It's going to be awesome. And Andrew was kind of like, I might want to go. I was like, I do not want to go. And I was like, I just like, I don't know. I just don't want to go. Like, I don't want to drive. I don't want to drive an hour and a half and then drive an hour and a half back. And like, like we're here. This, this, this hotel is pretty nice. You know, let's sit by the pool and then go to the, the event, the events that we're going. Like that just, and so anyway, I, that's where I was. I was like, okay. So, so then they had like rented this bus and like all these people were going to ride together. And, I was, and the next morning I was thinking about it and I was like, you know, I feel like I'm supposed to go. And so we ended up going. And first of all, it was wonderful. Like the whole concert was wonderful. Um, the way I explain the Maverick City concert is that they turned a show into worship instead of worship into a show. Go see him. If you ever get a chance to see him, it's the most diverse audience in the Christian community I've ever seen. Period. And just a wonderful show. And Kirk Franklin, like, I mean, maybe you think Kirk Franklin, whatever, but like, I realized I knew every single one of his songs. <laughs> and I just sang them all and danced my heart out that whole night. And the Lord gave us this opportunity. Um, they were doing this big thing around blessing prisoners, and so they had brought in some guys to pray over them and to honor them, put them at the, like the the best seats in the house, and brought them, you know. And so they, we got to spend some time with them backstage, and and I was just like really touched by this, and just like the Lord was like melting some frost off my heart. I feel like a lot of times obedience is God just like. You know, unthawing you. And so a lot of things, there's been a lot of things recently where one thing compounded to another thing and God and this specific obedience sort of like creates things. And so I want to read to you one of the strangest passages to me in Scripture about obedience. And it's Hebrews 5, 5 through 11. And I think it will be evident why it's strange. It says, so also Christ did not glorify himself to become high priest, but it was he who said to him, you are my son, today I have begotten you. This is speaking of Jesus. As he also says in another place, you are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek, who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death, and was heard because of his godly fear. Though he was a son, note this verse, yet he learned obedience by things which he suffered. And having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Called by God as a high priest according to the order of Melchizedek, of whom we have much to say and hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. So this is a really peculiar verse because it says that Jesus learned obedience and that Jesus was perfected in this process. Is it kind of evident why that's a weird verse? And, you know, 1 Peter 2.22 says about Jesus that he who committed no sin 
nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And certainly there's like many Old Testament scriptures that prophesy about the perfection of Jesus. And yet like he learned obedience. What does that mean that Jesus learned obedience? There's a striking story that I want to remind you of in the garden before Jesus went to the cross. And it's Jesus praying this prayer as he's about to go and die. He says, Lord, if this cup could pass from me, but not my will, your will be done. He's basically praying, God, if there's any other way, but not my will, but your will be done. What this prayer implies is that, and we've talked about this before, but I'll restate it for clarity. What this prayer implies is that Jesus, while on earth, likely did not utilize his divine gift of limitless knowledge. Like, he let go of total knowledge. It also makes sense when you think of the scripture, he grew in what? Wisdom, stature, and favor with God and man. So he grew in these things. And I think this is safe to say because in the first three centuries, one of the most central doctrines that was fought over and clarified was that Jesus is truly God and truly man. That there wasn't any part of him that wasn't man. There wasn't any part of him that wasn't God. And so as son of man, he took on some of the limitations of man, like the fact that he wasn't in all places at all times. The fact that he had, he had to depend on God and he, was, and he was dependent upon him. And I want to tell you another story of Jesus. So Jesus goes to this very specific pool, this pool of the Bethesda, and this man is there who's been trying to be healed for many years, and Jesus says, get up and walk. Do you know what day of the week he did this on? On the Sabbath. And so the religious leaders were, of course, angry at him. They were like, you are working on the Sabbath. And it's in this context that Jesus says, I only do what I see the Father doing. I only do what I see the Father doing. And what Jesus is saying is, I went to a specific place at a specific time to heal a very specific person in your presence because I'm being obedient to what God is leading me to do. It, this, this specific obedience defied the way the religious leaders thought moral obedience should look like. Like, they could re reference the Torah and say, well, we're not supposed to be working on the Sabbath. And Jesus is like, but I'm, I'm called to do this specific thing. When Scripture says Jesus learned obedience... I believe, this is my conviction, that what does that mean? What does that mean? What is that question? What, what does it mean that he learned obedience? I believe it is talking about the obedience to the voice of his Father through a listening ear. I believe it is about the obedience to the voice of his Father with a listening ear. 
Jesus is demonstrating as the Son of Man that the watermark of Christian obedience isn't merely doing what is right or wrong, but it is listening to His Father's voice. We have to stop thinking about the Christian life as a formation of morality and begin imagining it as a formation of trust. Like the high watermark of our life is not that we obeyed, don't lie. It's not that we obey, don't steal. It's that we actually listen to God and follow Him. That is what Jesus is demonstrating. Because I don't think that you're going to argue that He was demonstrating through His sinful failures how to be obedient. He's demonstrating a kind of obedience and specificity that is supposed to provoke us, not just to, not just to be shaped by a general obedience, but a specific obedience to His Word. What is Abraham noted for? Think about all of the stories of Scripture. His, the, 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 all the stories that move the ball forward in the Bible. Abraham is not commended because he did not lie. Abraham's call to obedience is, get out of this country and go to a land I will show you. What is Moses' obedience? When he stands next to God at the burning bush, Moses' obedience. Moses' obedience is go to my people. Samuel's obedience is go find this shepherd boy and anoint him. The entire story of Scripture is a story of people who listen to God and specifically obey. From beginning to end. We have to stop imagining our perfecting as purely one where we become morally or emotionally mature. That is not what God has called you. I mean, He wants you to be those things. Let me be clear. There's a whole, there's enough in there to say. Don't lie, don't, you know, do all, don't do these things. But that is not what the perfecting of Christ looks like. We are those that are being perfected by how we hear and obey. And that means we are called to do one thing. Listen. So let me take you back to the shepherd for a moment. What will protect... The sheep. What will protect the sheep? There's only one thing that keeps the sheep protected. What's the protection of the sheep? Voice. There's one thing. Sheep is too dumb and too immobile and too heavy to protect itself any other way. Sheep doesn't have no bear claws. And it doesn't have a compass in its mind. One thing. So I, a sheep does not have to look for the right pen 
or the right field they need to graze in. All they need to do is listen to the voice of the shepherd. So I keep asking myself the same question. Right now, I ask myself the question one to 30 times a day. It is, what does obedience look like right now in what I'm doing? What does obedience look like in my business? What does my obedience look like in this parenting moment? What does obedience look like in purchasing this car? What does obedience look like in purchasing this bicycle? I ask that question. I can't tell you that I get an answer every single time. But I'm asking that question maybe once a day, maybe 30 times a day. I don't know. But that is what the Lord is like drilling into my mind. What does obedience look like right now? Like, I want you to think about this. A sheep is not a strategic animal. It is a listening animal. The sheep don't gather around and analyze the pasture maps with a compass and assess the dangers of the wolves on the horizon. They do one thing. They listen to his voice. All right, so it was a book a number of years ago that has partially shaped our parenting that I, that I love some of it, and I'm, I'm going to make a point about it. Don't throw rocks at me, you know. That's all I'm asking. Um, how many of you are familiar with Love and Logic? The theory of Love and Logic is... I give kids choices because I'm training them for independence. That's the theory. Some level of autonomy. I'm training them to make choices. Um, and I actually think that some of this is helpful and we, use, we utilize some of it. But kids also need to learn how to obey. Because if they do not learn how to obey me, they will not learn how to obey him likely. Or it will be much harder. Colossians 3.20, children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. We aren't just training children to make independent, morally mature children. We are training them, if anything, to be those with listening ears. If they cannot listen to my voice, it will be more difficult for them to hear his voice. We use love and logic in our home, don't, you know, don't throw rocks at me. I'm just, I'm just putting out something there. Some, some of us are believing a lie. You're believing a lie that maturity and independence are two sides of the same coin. That if I can become strong enough, mature enough, okay enough, well enough, wise enough, smart enough, whatever enough, then I will be able to assess life rightly enough that I will flourish. Is wisdom valuable? Certainly. It, are all these things valuable? Certainly. But what, what happened to Solomon in the end, who had all the wisdom in the world? Did his, did his life end well? I'm not, I'm not saying that God, didn't, God gave him the wisdom. But at the end of the day, 
Submission and obedience to the voice of God is the thing that preserves us. Even the man with all the wisdom in the world could not, with that wisdom, fend off the enemy in his life. You do not need more autonomy. You need more trust in God. Like, how do we do this then? Like, what is the practice in which we become specifically obedient? Um, How do we let our maturity be defined by our increasing dependence on His voice? Like, well, let me tell you, let me start by this. What Scripture says, first of all, is that Jesus learned. So if Jesus learned this, Does that mean that you will also have to learn this? Yes. If Jesus learned what Hebrews says, I'm not being a heretic, I'm just preaching, I'm just reading the text. If Hebrews says that Jesus learned obedience, then what will we also have to do? Learn. We have to learn. We have to learn. We have to learn obedience. We have to learn it. And it's um, learning implies that it's not just a vending machine. You punch the number and you go, I want to know what God says today so I can obey. Snickers bar, boom. That's not the way it works. How many of you have ever asked God for direction and you didn't hear it? And I'm not saying that He has to answer every time, but the reality is the spiritual journey is one of learning how to obey. Not just instantly knowing how to obey. Are are you with me? I mean, that's been my experience. I've done it wrong, I've done it right, and I'm learning. What does it say after that? It says he learned obedience through what? Suffering. He learned obedience through suffering. Like as he was rejected, as he was maligned, as he was betrayed, as he was left by his friends, as they fell asleep in his hour of need, as he was waiting and contemplating the gravity, like Jesus had an incredible mind, I'm assuming. So he could contemplate the gravity of what he was about to go to. As he anticipated and experienced all of that, Obedience was coming to perfection at the cross. Perfect obedience displayed in a moment. He had to learn it. He had to learn it through suffering. And for me, the only thing I know to do right now, the only thing I know to do, and maybe you have a better idea, but the only thing I know to do right now is to say, God, what does obedience look like right now? Because I think for many of us, we have held God hostage for how we will obey when all the things align. How we will obey 
when we get to our thing that we're doing. How we will obey once we arrive into the country that you lead me to. But obedience for Abraham wasn't just once he arrived into the country. It was when he got out of his door and started walking because God told him to go on a walk. You do not get to punt the ball. You can do that, but you will stay precisely where you're at in your maturity. Obedience is right now. Deuteronomy 30 says the word is not far away. It's not up into the heavens. It's not across the sea. It's not difficult to comprehend. It's near you. It's in your mouth. It's in your heart. Like that is where obedience is. It is closer than your own body. Will we trust him? Will we trust him? That's the, that's the, uh, that's the question. I, my, my dog, Bodie, we had this dog, Huck. He passed this last year, and two years ago, I guess. And he um, was the most obedient dog. Like that dog, if I said, come here, that dog, like, boom. Like, not, he never ate anything. He didn't. Bodie, we now have also Golden Fever, sweet dog. Not at all like Huck. Like, he gets out the door, and I'm like, Bodie, come here. He's, like, trying to figure out how to get away from me. And I was always worried that this dog is, he's going to keep running away from me and get hit by a car. Like, because I just, I don't know how to, like, like, it was a family event. If somebody let the dog out, Grace can testify to this, if somebody let the dog out, you were the, you were the bad person of the day, whether it was, it was like, and it was an entire family event to go collect this dog. And he's just like, I'm getting out of here, you know. And so we found, when we, we were going on vacation, we found this place, dog training. Like, we tried, but we were not successful. And dog training is expensive. If you look at dog trainers, they're like stupid expensive. And so I was like, okay. So Andrea found this place that would take him and train him for three, for three weeks for a really low cost in comparison to other places. And I was like, okay. We'll, I was like, I was skeptical, but I was like, let's just try it. And so this dog, he came back, and like if I say here, he comes. And it, it makes our life more pleasant, but it makes his life more, more safe. He's, he, is, he is a dog who's like kind of, he's no longer trying to figure out how do I get away and putting himself in danger. He's, he's, he comes when he's called. And sometimes we just don't trust God. So... This is a crazy story, but I told you guys I bought this bicycle, and I ride the thing every day right now. And um, another thing that I, it's like something I've always wanted. My papa drove this 1985 Ford F-150, and I drove it a little while in high school, and my papa passed away this year. I've looked for this, a truck that I could buy like this for years and years. And so the uh, dealership, when we were buying Andrew's car, wouldn't take our tra much of trade value, like 250 bucks. And then I went to CarMax, and they're like, we'll give you 3,000. I was like, okay, this, <laughs> that's, that's a better deal. And, and, uh, but anyway, I ended up finding, I, it was like on a random night, I 
Craigslist, 1983 Ford F-150, because I, I, it's the same body style as 85. They have no electrical parts in an 83, so I've always wanted an 83 specifically. I found this exact vehicle. Long and short of it is, God showed an incredible number of signs. It was like, I don't even know how to, exp I don't even try to explain the story. It was just very clear to me that God was like leading me to this. Actually, it was crazy. My brother texted me the same day. It's a red 80s truck. My brother texted me the same day. And he said, I'm buying this red 80s uh, SUV. I was like, well, that's kind of weird. And then he goes, it has 85,000 miles on it. I was like, mine has 85,000 miles on it. This is really bizarre. So I ended up meeting this guy. And we had all these connections it was like incredible. Like God like brought, brought us together. All this like this just interesting connection. A, probably a lifelong friend now. And I ended up trading our Honda and a few hundred dollars for this truck that I wanted like forever. Like I could, and most of them are for sale for over $10,000, sometimes over 20. And I was like, I'll just, I'll just never get one of these. And so for like something that the dealership was going to give me like 2500 250 bucks, I ended up turning into my dream truck. That was that was a sweet that was a sweet exchange. But here's let me tell you, there was an issue part of the reason he was having to sell it less expensive is there was an issue with the title. I had a piece in my heart going through the process of doing a bonded title, but like not nothing tells you legally you should buy a car where title is not clear. It's just, it's just not a good idea. But I was like, peace in my heart. And so I just kept researching and going and talking to the city. And I called, you know, I found the name of the person who previously owned it. And I went to the, these, this length. He was like, okay. He, he gave me the permission to do it. I called the people who previously owned this vehicle because the car was impounded. I called them, found their name through, uh, through somebody, confirmed with the city that they were still the title owners. And I said, listen, this is the story. This car got impounded. This, um, um, you know, it so supposedly went to auction, but you're still the title holder. And I was like, I was like, I found your number on the internet. And it, this lady ends up being this lady's daughter. And we have this like 45 minute long conversation, how they're never going to claim that. They're so grateful it got to somebody. And, and it was really cool. It was really a cool thing to have a conversation with her. But what I realized was I spent hours researching something that God had already given me the green light on that didn't make sense in my mind, but I could just listen. I mean, I know this sounds crazy. Like, I'm not telling you that you, I'm not giving you advice to not check things out. My dad beat into my brain, trust but verify, son. You always say, oh, Russian proverb, trust but verify. And so I'm not telling you don't do that. But what I am telling you, and maybe God wanted me to go down that path, but what I am telling you is that the Lord knew. And I can trust his voice. There's one thing that will keep you safe in this life, and it's learning to trust his voice. That is it. That's it. If you don't do that, you lose everything. If you do that, you gain everything. It doesn't matter how morally mature you get if it does not shape you into being closer to him. What, what happens when the religious leader goes into the, into the temple and is like thanking God for his righteousness that he's not like the other guy? 
And then the next guy comes who's laden with sin, begging for repentance. And and he is aware of God in his unrighteousness. And it says the second man went away. Wow. Because you could be morally immature, but trying to hear him, follow him, obey him. This is what we must grow at. To obey God. So, I'm going to bring you the same prompt I gave you last week. I want to have you stand up with me for a second. We're going to do this. Um, I just want you to close your eyes and ask this simple question um, like to the Lord. I want you to let the Lord highlight some area in your life. Maybe it's business, ministry, decision you need to make, parenting. I don't care what it is. It can be tiddlywinks, whatever. Um, And I just want you to ask a simple question. In this area, in this thing, what does obedience look like right now? Just a simple question. I'm just asking, I'm just provoking. Take a moment, let the Spirit say to you, what does obedience look like right now? 